0: Welcome to Scripture and Tradition. I'm Father Mitch Pacwa, and I and everyone here at the EWTN family want to wish you a very merry and blessed Christmas. It's coming up in less than a week, and we're still in the season of Advent, and I'd like to take a break from what we've been addressing about the Lord's passion and such and take a look at... This celebration of Advent, but I want to add a little twist that you may not be familiar with. As you know, I'm by ritual, I have by ritual faculties in the Maronite Church, and in the Maronite Church, we have uh, six weeks of announcements that uh, takes the place of the four weeks of Advent in the Roman Church which celebrates the 4,000 years from creation till the incarnation of Jesus. And that's why we have the four weeks there. In the Eastern Church, we do six weeks of the equivalent of Advent, and we call it the season of announcements. And I'd like to go through those six weeks of announcement, uh, and give it, make this a little bit of a reflection for all of us in the Church, partly because the same readings for the season of announcement are also in the Roman liturgy, uh, the weekday liturgies especially, in the eight days before the birth of Christ. And... It's good for us to see these different perspectives. If you remember the document Orientale Lumen, paragraph 1, it says that the light of the east has illumined the universal church from the moment when a rising sun appeared above us. Remember that line in Luke chapter 1, verse 78, the song of Zechariah? Who is that rising sun? It's Jesus Christ, our Lord, whom all Christians invoke as the Redeemer of man and the hope of the world. Since, in fact, we believe that the venerable and ancient tradition of the Eastern churches is an integral part of the heritage of Christ's church, the first need for Catholics is to be familiar with that tradition so as to be nourished by it and to encourage the process of unity in the best way possible for each. This is a very important aspect of understanding the Eastern Church. So let's take a look at this Maronite season of announcements. The first Sunday of the season of announcement is called the announcement to Zechariah. Now the basis of this is Luke Chapter 1, verses 5 to 25. And we say a prayer. Uh, It's called the Etro Prayer uh, in, in the liturgy. And it says this way, speaking to Christ. O high priest of heaven, you sent the angel Gabriel to the altar of incense on earth where he announced to the priest Zechariah the conception of your forerunner, John, and that his prayers for his son are finally being answered in a similar way. Accept our offerings and answer our prayers, O high priest and Savior of souls, to whom we offer glory with your Father and your Holy Spirit forever and ever. Amen. So, Let's take a look at this. Um, we, We see that it begins by giving a setting, you know, that this was when Herod was still the king. And we see who Zechariah and Elizabeth, his wife, are. They're both from the tribe of Levi, both from the family of Aaron, so they're priestly on both sides. And we see that... Uh, THEY ARE IDENTIFIED BOTH AS RIGHTEOUS BEFORE GOD, WALKING IN ALL THE COMMANDMENTS AND ORDINANCES OF THE LORD. AND ZECHARIAH BELONGED TO ONE DIVISION OF THE priests; IT'S A CLAN SUBDIVISION. AND THE CLANS TOOK TURNS AT OFFERING THE INCENSE IN the, THE TEMPLE. And Zechariah's clan was, it was their time, and he was chosen by lot. They would cast lots to see who in that division would offer the incense. Frequently, this was a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And so Zechariah would be delighted to have the privilege of offering the hour. And then it also mentions there's a crowd of people there. Now, let's focus on verses 12 to 17. When there appeared to him in verse 11 an angel, Zechariah was troubled when he saw the angel and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Be not afraid, Zechariah. This is a standard statement made to people when God or an angel appear to humans. So be not afraid, Zechariah, and he calls him by name. For your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he shall drink no wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before them in the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now, this is a focus on the child that's to be born. There's an announcement that this elderly man and his elderly wife, who's beyond the time of giving, having birth, being able to get pregnant, this is very much uh, part of the miraculous part of this. And it's important to see that he will be fulfilling prophecies that Elijah would return. Not the actual person Elijah, but this child who will have the spirit of Elijah. He will act like Elijah. Just as Elisha the prophet received the spirit of Elijah and could do miracles, so also John would have the spirit of Elijah to call people to repent of sin. This is the uh, key element of him. The problem is... Zechariah says to the angel, how will I know this? He's looking for proof and evidence because he doesn't have faith. And as we'll see coming together later on, that he will not be able to speak for the next nine months until the time he names the child. And he will have to be in silence and reflect on how this word of the angel that his wife would have a baby, his baby, is going to be fulfilled. And furthermore, that if that's fulfilled, then the words of the prophets predicting the coming of his son will be fulfilled. He gets sort of a nine-month retreat. And... This is something that we'll come back to in a later Sunday. Let's take a look then at the second Sunday of the season of announcement. And this is the Sunday of the announcement to the Virgin Mary. Now, in the Saffro prayer, Saffro is the morning prayer in the Liturgy of the Hours, the Divine Office. And there's a prayer called the Sedro uh, uh, in that morning prayer for the Annunciation. And I want to read that prayer. Glory, praise, and adoration to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. To the Father, who sent His only begotten Son to save Adam by returning him to the paradise He had lost through sin. And glory to the Son who descended to earth and took flesh from the pure virgin. And glory to the Holy Spirit who have we overshadowed Mary to place our Savior in the world. So notice how the prayer is Trinitarian and this characterizes the prayers throughout the various liturgies, whether it's Uh, the Corbono, that is the uh, Holy Mass, or the other prayers. And in this, we want to see a couple of points. First, we'll begin with Luke 1, 28 to 38. It's the same angel Gabriel came to Mary and said, Hail, full of grace, the one who has been graced. The Lord is with you. Now, this is an amazing greeting. And other greetings in the Old Testament, you'll see characteristics of that person mentioned. So Gideon says, Hail, mighty warrior. But uh, not here. It's not about Mary's human qualities. It's rather that she has been filled with grace and the Lord is with her. That's the identifying thing about this greeting. And then it continues, But she was greatly troubled at this saying and considered in her mind what sort of greeting this might be. So the angel said to her, as he had said to Zechariah and throughout the Bible, Be not afraid, Mary, for you have found grace with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and he shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I have no husband? And the angels, and literally, since I know not man. The angels said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your kinswoman Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for with God, Nothing will be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This announcement has these elements of addressing what the Lord has already done in the heart and soul of the Virgin Mary. And that prepares the way for the main announcement, which is also about a son. But this son will be called great, and not only great, but he is the son of the Most High. Now that word Most High is a very ancient title for God. It is found Even in the pagan literature, uh, uh, in Ugaritic, they uh, called uh, their chief god, God Most High, El Elyon. But because Israel understood that their god, the Lord, is the only god, they could take that title Most High and apply it to to the one true God because he is superior to any other claim to deity. None of the other gods are gods. In fact, they're called nothingnesses in the Bible. And now we see that his son is going to take flesh in the womb of this virgin. Another thing that's said about him is not only is he the Son of the Most High, but he, like John, will fulfill prophecies, especially the prophecies made to King David that his son would rule and sit on his throne forever. Now, in fact, David's physical descendants no longer sat on the throne of Israel. In fact, as Luke brings out, Herod was the king, and he was only half Jewish and in no way related to David. So this didn't apply, but the son of Mary is going to be the one who sits on the throne of his father David. Now that line, that he'll sit on the throne of his father David, is an indication that the Blessed Virgin Mary herself is from the family of David. The genealogy that we'll take a look at in, in or toward the end of the program today is the legal genealogy of Christ as his legal status is taken from St. Joseph. But on his physical connection, he is born of Mary and His ancestor and hers is King David. That's why it's his father, David, his ancestor. So that's a very important point. And something that I just like to always remind us, when God makes this announcement, the Blessed Virgin Mary, I'm sure, would have this picture of Her son being somehow on the royal throne. But we who have read the whole gospel have another kind of insight because we know that the only time the official government recognizes her son as the king of the Jews is when HE IS ON THE CROSS, AND THE SIGN ABOVE HIS HEAD SAYS, JESUS OF NAZARETH, KING OF THE JEWS. THAT WOULD PROBABLY NOT BE THE PICTURE SHE HAD WHEN SHE HEARD THE ANGEL'S ANNOUNCEMENT. BUT SHE IS GOING TO REMAIN FAITHFUL NO MATTER WHAT. AND THAT FAITH IS GOING TO BE EXPRESSED HERE At this annunciation, unlike Zechariah, who said, how will I know these things? He wants proof. She doesn't ask for proof. She asks, how will this be? In other words, what am I supposed to do? I don't have a husband. I I don't know man. I haven't had relations. So how is this to be? She wants instructions, not proof. She trusts in the angel's words. And he says, This will be, in one sense, like what's happened to you. You are full of grace. The Lord is with you. Well, for this child to be conceived, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. Just as he overshadowed the Ark of the Covenant, so will you, Mary, be a new Ark of the Covenant. And she responds to his words with a one word act of faith. In Aramaic, well, we know in Latin, fiat, but in Aramaic it's also one word, nehweh, nehweh. Let it be. And notice it doesn't say she felt anything, there was a change, or anything, nothing like that. She accepts it in faith that this has happened to her. And this act of faith will be there all the way through her life as she goes through a variety of crises on her pilgrimage of following Jesus all the way to the point on the cross where even when she sees that sign, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, she still has faith. And we have to have faith in the midst of what seems to be impossible. But as the angel said, with God, nothing is impossible. All right, let's take a short break. We'll come back in a couple of minutes and continue on with these announcements. So please stay with us. Welcome back. We are doing a little bit of an Advent program and taking a look at the six Sundays of Maronite Advent or what they prefer to call the season of announcement. And the third Sunday is the visitation of the Virgin Mary to Elizabeth, her kinswoman. We have a prayer here from the schedule of the Ramsho prayers. Ramsho is evening prayer. And the schedule is this poetic prayer that's included. And it says, Praise glory and honor to the Most High, who fills the heavens with glory and pours out His loving kindness on the earth. The cherubim fear Him when they bear Him on His fiery throne. But in his love, he concealed himself within the pure womb of Mary. He filled his forerunner, John, with the Holy Spirit when he was still in the womb of his mother. Our minds cannot comprehend this humility, yet we proclaim with all humanity, My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. To you be glory forever. Amen. So let's take a look now at the uh, visitation uh, of Mary to Elizabeth and the announcement of the birth of the Son. There are two parts to this. And the first part of this is when they meet. Now notice the Virgin Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country. She didn't st- st- stay in Nashville and say, well, let me see if I'm pregnant. I'll, I'll wait until I start to show that I'm with child or not. No. Right away, she goes off with haste immediately to Elizabeth. Then when she is with Elizabeth, the, before Mary can do anything except say hello and wish your shalom, peace. Immediately we see that the baby inside Elizabeth's womb leaps up and with, with joy because the Holy Spirit is moving him. And then the Holy Spirit also moves his mother to speak three Beatitudes. The first Beatitude is, Blessed are you among women. A way to explain, you are the most blessed woman there is. This is a very Aramaic uh, phrase. Uh, Blessed are you among women means you're the most blessed of all women. More blessed than our mother Eve, even. Because Eve, who was created without original sin, fell into sin. But Mary, who is conceived without original sin, never falls into the sins. And so she uh, is blessed among women. Secondly, blessed is the fruit of your womb. The child in her womb is something that uh, she uh, also gives a blessing for. And it's interesting to note that there are two words for blessing, evlogetos, or evlogete, feminine, which. IS FROM THE VERB TO BLESS OF LOGEO. AND that, THAT INDICATES GOD'S ACTION. GOD HAS MADE MARY THE MOST BLESSED OF WOMEN AND GOD HAS MADE uh, THE FRUIT OF HER WOMB uh, you know, BLESSED. BUT THEN THE THIRD BLESSING IS MAKARI. Uh, MAKARIOS IS A WORD THAT MEANS BLESSED IN THE SENSE OF BEING HAPPY. THAT CORRESPONDS TO A HEBREW WORD, ASHREI. AND IT SAYS, BLESSED IS SHE WHO BELIEVED THE WORD SPOKEN TO HER. AND THIS IS ABOUT THE BLESSED VIRGIN'S OWN INTERIOR JOY AND HAPPINESS, HER OWN BEATITUDE FOR HAVING FAITH. SO THAT'S ONE KEY. BUT THEN WE SEE THAT THE BLESSED VIRGIN MARY SPEAKS. And she says in verses 46 to 55, My soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly estate of his handmaiden. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. Makariusin That makariusin is from the same word, to have this happiness that is within her. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. So this speaks of all that the Lord has done for the Blessed Virgin Mary in conceiving this child who's going to be the Savior, her Savior and ours. But then she goes on to talk about what God is doing for everyone else. His mercy is on those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown the strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. And has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of low degree. And that's one of the things that applies. We heard mentioned uh, Herod, and he's going to be brought low. He's going to be disliked and oftentimes hated by history. But the lowly Mary and Elizabeth and their two sons and their lowliness and meekness are going to be exalted as great saints. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich is sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his seed forever. What's important here, as uh, a little sideline, notice how it says he has satisfied the hungry. The name Elizabeth in Aramaic is Elishava, which means God has satisfied. So that Elizabeth's name is in that hymn. It's included there, but it only works as a pun in Aramaic and not in Greek or English for that matter. So that's just a little side point. But it shows that This salvation is something that Mary so believes she even is beginning to open up her own vista to the future redemption that her son is going to bring. And we can see, for instance, in our Lord's first sermon in the uh, synagogue at Nazareth, found over in Luke chapter 4, that this is a tremendous promise of what He'll do for those who are in need. And she sees that this moment is not just about being happy right now, but recognizing that this is a future salvation that will have ramifications for everybody in the world. So you have to make a choice. Will you be with the humble who love the Lord and have faith, or with the arrogant, WHO GET KNOCKED DOWN AND CAST OUT. THIS IS GOING TO BE THE KEY. NOW WE GO TO THE FOURTH SUNDAY OF THE SEASON OF ANNOUNCEMENT AND THIS IS THE SUNDAY OF THE BIRTH OF JOHN THE BAPTIST. SO HERE AGAIN WE HAVE A sedra PRAYER uh, FROM uh, RAMSHO OF THIS SUNDAY, THE EVENING PRAYER. OF THAT SUNDAY. IT SAYS, O JOHN, HOLY CHILD OF A PRIEST, PROPHET, FORERUNNER AND BAPTIZER, YOU ARE THE CHILD ANNOUNCED BY AN ANGEL OF GOD. YOU ARE THE VOICE, CRYING OUT IN THE DESERT, THE PROPHET WHO, WHILE IN THE WOMB, KNEW THE MYSTERY OF HIS LORD'S PRESENCE. YOU BROUGHT THE OLD COVENANT TO AN END, AND announce THE NEW COVENANT. YOU WHO WERE BORN OF A barren WOMAN WITNESS TO THE CHILD BORN OF A VIRGIN, BE FOR US A SIGN OF GOD'S MERCY, A MESSENGER OF GOD'S KINGDOM OF PEACE, AND A LAMP POINTING TO THE LIGHT OF THE WORLD. WITH ZECHARIAH AND ELIZABETH, WE PRAISE GOD THE FATHER WHO MADE YOU A MESSENGER OF HIS BELOVED SON, AND GLORIFY THE HOLY SPIRIT WITH WHOM YOU WERE FILLED BEFORE YOU WERE BORN. GLORY TO GOD FOREVER. AMEN. NOW, THERE'S, AGAIN, A a VERY IMPORTANT COUPLE ELEMENTS OF THIS IN TWO PARTS. THE FIRST PART IS ABOUT THE BIRTH AND CIRCUMCISION OF JOHN it his birth is just mentioned but the real action takes place at his circumcision 8 days later remember in the old testament abram had his name changed in genesis chapter 17 when the lord god almighty appeared to him and told him to institute circumcision for all the men of His people, including Himself and His Son, and that from that time forward on the eighth day there would be this uh, circumcision as a permanent sign of the covenant for each man to share. It would be a private experience, an unchangeable uh, sign, and yet while it's a uh, uh, private AND PERSONAL, IT'S ALSO KNOWN THAT EVERYONE IN THE COMMUNITY HAS THAT SIGN. AND IN SOME WAYS, IT'S PARALLEL TO OUR BAPTISM, WHICH IS in AN INTERIOR SIGN IN OUR SOUL OF BEING uh, uh, THE CIRCUMCISION, NOT OF HAND, BUT by, OF THE HEART, BY THE HOLY SPIRIT. AND AT THAT POINT, Elizabeth announces that the boy's name is going to be John. And the family and friends say, no, 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 name him Zechariah after his father. I mean, his father's been waiting for this child. Name it after him. It's not about honoring the family. It's about obeying God. And when they go to to Zechariah, and it's sort of dumb, kind of a funny scene, where they start making hand signals about what to name the child. FORGETTING THAT HE IS MUTE, BUT HE'S NOT DEAF. HE CAN HEAR, AND HE JUST CAN'T SPEAK. SO HE WRITES ON THE TABLET, HIS NAME IS JOHN, AND THEN ZECHARIAH CAN SPEAK. AND HE SPEAKS A HYMN IN LUKE one 68 to 68-79. BLESSED BE THE LORD, THE GOD OF ISRAEL. SO HE FIRST PRAISES GOD. AFTER BEING SILENT FOR NINE MONTHS, HE BLESSES THE LORD. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David, as He spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember His holy covenant, the oath which He swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear, in holiness and righteousness, before Him all the days of our life. Now let's stop there for a second. That whole part of Zechariah's prayer is about the baby Jesus who is still inside the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary. At this point, the Blessed Virgin Mary is three months pregnant. She's three months with child. She would start to be shown, And at the birth of his own son, Zechariah doesn't make it about John. He makes it about Jesus as the son of David who had been uh, prophesied by the prophets. And this is going to be his task to be the Redeemer. And notice it says he has remembered his covenant. Here, too, we see that in Aramaic, He has remembered is Zachar. Zacharyahu, the name Zechariah, means the Lord remembered. So now his name is found inside this prayer, but again, only in Aramaic. This is one more clue among many that this was originally composed in Aramaic because the pun does not work in Greek or in English but it does work in the Aramaic. That seems to have been the original for these uh, Luke chapter 1 and 2. It's only after praising Mary's child that he then addresses his own newborn son who was just circumcised, young John. And he says to his child, John, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins through the tender compassion or mercy of our God when the day shall dawn upon us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. So He addresses His Son as a prophet, but a prophet who Himself... IS POINTING TO CHRIST. THIS IS WHO IT SAID, AND THAT'S WHY WE SEE WRITTEN ABOUT JOHN, JOHN THE BAPTIST, THAT IS, IN MARK CHAPTER 1, VERSES 2-3, to three, AS IT IS WRITTEN IN ISAIAH THE PROPHET, BEHOLD, I SEND MY MESSENGER BEFORE YOUR FACE, WHO SHALL PREPARE YOUR WAY. THE VOICE OF ONE CRYING IN THE WILDERNESS, PREPARE THE WAY, of THE LORD MAKES HIS PATH STRAIGHT that Zechariah's words are prophetic about his son being a prophet who points the way to Jesus Christ. And this is an essential element for us to understand. John is a lamp pointing to Jesus, the light of the world. And Zechariah recognized that. And this is the announcement that is made to all of those people who wonder, what will this child John be? And it's something they talk about for years, but they don't get to see the full ramifications for another 30 years or so. All right, we'll take another break. We'll come back and then present a little bit about THE FIFTH AND SIXTH SUNDAYS OF ANNOUNCEMENT, SO PLEASE STAY WITH US. back. We've been discussing the six Sundays of the season of announcement that characterizes the Maronite equivalent of Advent. And the fifth Sunday of announcement is the revelation to St. Joseph. Now, you'll see that in these next two uh, Sundays, The Gospel comes from Matthew. And I'd like to begin with a prayer from the Sedro of Ramsho, that is, evening prayer, uh, from the Maronite Liturgy of the Hours. It says, Praise, glory, and honor to the Most High, who revealed to Joseph that Mary had conceived in all purity the only begotten Son of God, and through the angel Gabriel told him, that the child was the Son of the Heavenly Father. Your revelation dispelled Joseph's turmoil. To the intercession of the Blessed Mary and Joseph, your chosen one, dispel the world's doubts, fill all souls with faith, and let your word dwell within every heart. To you be glory forever. Here we see that the gospel of the Sunday is from Matthew 1, verses 18 to 25. It begins saying, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to send her away quietly. But as he considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had borne a son. And she he called his name Jesus. Now, this uh, again, is a different perspective. There's no mention of the the incarnation in Mary's womb. Nothing about the angel coming to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Nothing about uh, her reaction or anything like that. That seems to be something they already knew and understood, and it's not mentioned. But... The revelation to Joseph is because he would be the one filled with perplexity and, you know, uh, uh, you know confusion in a certain sense. Um, he knows that he's not the father, but he also knows that his betrothed is with child, and. Uh, he All he has is his natural reason. He knows that you have to have a father for a child, and he's not it, so somebody else. So he assumes that he has to divorce her. Now, he could have had her executed. That would be possible because this was considered adultery. I know there are a lot of people who try to say, well, Mary was an unwed mother. That, that's not the case. That's not the case. The betrothal was considered binding. And therefore, if she had been unfaithful to Joseph, it was not you know, just breaking up the engagement. It was an act of adultery. Now, Joseph, is called the just man, but we see something in him that is missing in our culture, namely, justice mixed with mercy. A lot of people want justice. They're not quick to show mercy to others. They want mercy for themselves, but not to others. Joseph shows mercy by saying, I'll divorce her quietly and just let it go. But this is where the angel appears to him and says, this child is conceived by the Holy Spirit. It's the same message that we hear in Luke, that the Holy Spirit came upon her, and that she is pure. And furthermore, he a further level of understanding that this fulfills the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, that a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel, God with us, because he is the Son of the Most High. And that was not explained to Our Lady, but it is explained to Joseph. And so he accepts that. And one of the things that all of us need is, first of all, to always understand that we seek justice and mercy to go with it. And secondly, when God shows us that he's doing the impossible, we have to realize that nothing is impossible with him. Our act of faith, like Joseph's, is to accept this revelation, to act on it. He'll engage in a series of very complicated and dangerous adventures. have to go to Egypt to protect the child and, and mother and lots of other things, and he won't see the fool salvation. He'll die before Christ is crucified. but he'll play his role and we each have the same obligation to listen to God, fulfill our role, and do as God says to us. Finally, the sixth Sunday of announcement is the uh, it's the Sunday before the birth of our Lord and this is called Genealogy Sunday where the genealogy of Jesus from Matthew chapter 1 verses 1 through 18 is read. In the morning prayer Safro, the Sedro reads, "Praise, glory and honor to the ancient one begotten of the Father before all ages, and born of the virgin Mary in the fullness of time, to save all of humanity from Adam to the present. The prophets foretold your birth" by which our salvation is accomplished. Lord, grant that through penance and purity we may prepare ourselves to celebrate your birth. Sanctify us that we may be ready to meet you. To you be glory forever. Amen. This... Gospel, in one sense, the the genealogy of Christ in Matthew 1 to 17 is um, oftentimes not considered the most exciting reading. There's this list of names. Um, It reads there, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Peretz and Zerach, by Tamar, and Perez, the son of Chesron. Now, it's good to note, there are four women mentioned in this list. The first one is Tamar. She was a, a Canaanite woman, a pagan. And his first son, her husband, died. And then his second son died. He's supposed to marry her and have a child with her. And he fails to do that, so he's he dies, and eventually, Judah goes to a sheep shearing festival, and he thinks she's a prostitute, and he doesn't pay her, but he gives his little signet ring, which is oh, like paying with a credit card—that's mistake, and so <laughs> you don't pay for prostitutes with a credit card, uh, and when she gets pregnant by her father-in-law, then she uh, says the father's the guy who owns this, and Judah realizes he's the father. And that's in Jesus' genealogy, with Peretz being one of the twins that she bears. And then uh, Chetron becomes uh, the father of Ram, Ram the father of Minadab, Minadab the father of Nachshon, Nachshon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. Rahab was not like Tamar. She was a Canaanite woman. But she wasn't an amateur prostitute. She was a professional prostitute. This is in Jesus' family tree. But she comes to have faith. And the Lord brings about through her, eventually, Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. Now, Ruth is a Moabite woman. Jews weren't supposed to marry Moabites because they were the children of Lot and Lot's daughter. So it's an incestuous relationship. That's in Jesus' background. And then it goes over to Father Jesse, Jesse the father of David the king. David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. They won't even say Bathsheba's name. That's the fourth woman. She committed adultery. Now, the women in there are not portrayed as very good. And all four of them seem to be foreigners. If, it seems about Sheba, who is the wife of Uriah the Hittite, may have been also a Hittite. So you have four foreigners in Jesus' genealogy. And all four of them are on a shady side, Ruth being the most honorable, but not supposed to marry Moabite. But it's Jesus' genealogy, and I'm not going to be picking on the women here. I've mean, he even started with the men. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were all three liars; they lied through their teeth. And David committed murder and adultery. He committed murder to cover up the adultery. Solomon had a thousand wives and started worshiping their, their various gods. All of the. And you can go through the rest of these. Ahaz sacrificed two of his sons to the Assyrian gods in Gehenna. I mean, these guys were not good guys. They're all sinners, and their sins are in the Bible. That's why you don't want to be somebody who was in the Bible, because they're going to write down your sins and preach them in church for the next few thousand years, at least with People magazine you toss away before you read the next scandal the next month. Here in the Bible, it's for thousands of years they talk about your sins in church. But that's Jesus' genealogy. And the importance of this genealogy of sinners, men and women alike, is that Jesus entered into this history of sin in order to redeem sinners. He enters it through the womb of the virgin, So that her pure womb, her immaculately conceived soul, is not touched by sin. And he enters into the stream of human history through the lock of Mary's holiness and the graciousness that has filled her. She's full of grace, and he enters through the human history through her. So that his infinite source of grace might flow into the human race and heal everyone, and He'll even go down when He dies on the cross, His soul will go to the place of the dead and preach to all these souls so they can hear the gospel. And He continues to preach to the souls of sinful humanity. We recognize that the sins are sins. We can't talk away the sin. Jesus didn't come to say excuses but to bring reconciliation and holiness. And this is why we celebrate this genealogy Sunday, because we're part of that sinful stream. And we don't exonerate ourselves. We don't say of ourselves, well, I have an excuse. No. We say, Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I need to be saved from my sin and restored to the image and likeness of God in which you created me. This is the purpose of the Incarnation. And with all the fun and good food and sharing of gifts that we do at this time of year, we always want to remember that we are about Jesus and His redemption. This is the purpose of the Incarnation. It's a redemption for the whole world. We first seek it ourselves, and then we want to share it with the rest of humanity to let the fellow sinners know that Christ loves them and will forgive their sins if they come to Him repenting and seeking His goodness. And throughout this whole Christmas season and the end of this Advent, May Almighty God bless you and keep you and the infant child be with you, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. We will be praying for you and your families throughout this holy season so that you may enjoy the goodness of God through it all. God bless you all and thank you very much.